1: The humid, brackish lagoons of the Kerala backwaters on the southwestern coast of India play host to lion-tailed macaques, Malabar giant squirrels, and a race of small but sturdy goats called Nilgiri tars. Here, in the low-lying waterways populated by vipers, pythons, and stinging catfish, grows Cerbera odalum, the suicide tree. Its narrow, dark green leaves resemble those of its cousin, the common oleander. Sprays of starry white flowers release a perfume as sweet as jasmine. The fleshy, green fruits are like small, unripe mangoes, except that they conceal a nasty surprise. The seed's white nut meat contains enough cardiac glycosides to stop the heart within three to six hours. The advantages of such a powerful natural resource are not lost on the locals. The suicide rate in Kerala is about three times India's average, with about 100 Keralites attempting suicide and 25 to 30 succeeding every day. Poisoning is a popular method preferred by 40% of the despondent. Uh, Women in particular favor a dessert of mashed o'dalum nut mixed with jaggery and unrefined sugar drawn from palm sap as their final meal. However, the nut's bitter taste is also easily concealed in one of the popular local curries, which are usually served with coconut and rice. Because the symptoms of o'dalum poisoning resemble that of a heart attack, the seeds have been used as a murder weapon. In 2004, a team of French and Indian scientists conducted liquid chroma- <laughs> chromatography and mass spectrometry analyses to prove that many of those who had died under mysterious circumstances had actually been fed Odolum by some homicidal acquaintance. Uh, the genus Cerbera is named after Cerberus, the Hound of Hades from Greek mythology, a vicious three-headed dog with a snake for a tail. He guarded the gates to hell, keeping the dead perpetually trapped inside and preventing the living from entering. But its success as an instrument of suicide is what earned the tree its common name. To the best of our knowledge, the scientist analyzing the forensic data wrote, no plant in the world is responsible for as many deaths by suicide as the odolum tree.
0: Amy Stewart is the author of From the Ground Up, The Story of a First Garden, the earth mood on the remarkable achievements of earthworms and flower confidential the good the bad and the beautiful in the business of flowers her new book is wicked plants the weed that killed lincoln's mother and other botanical atrocities thank you for joining me amy oh thank you amy this is a wonderful book <laughs> what what i, I got to tell you, you I, You just read uh, an excerpt about a plant, the suicide tree, of Kerala. Now, recently, I think it was about two years ago, there uh, some red rain fell in Kerala, which is widely reputed to be of alien origin. And there's been a lot of talk about Kerala. So it's great that you uh, rocketed into Kerala to get this uh, perspective on what actually grows there. It's weirder than what might fall out of the sky.
1: (laughs) I know, I know. You know, I really wanted to kind of uh, go all over the world. I mean, I didn't want this to just be a book of North American plants. And I think I managed every continent, but Antarctica is in there somewhere. So I pulled it off.
0: Well, I love the format of this book. It's like a little handbook, a pocket book. Could you talk about just creating this format as a writer?
1: Yeah, this is very different for me because most of my books are narrative nonfiction, which means that it's about a three hundred page book that reads like a novel. And this is actually the first time I ever wrote anything that was more episodic. You know, these are these are short, two to four page pieces about a particular plant, or in some cases, a group of plants. Um, And I really did want it to be small. I wanted it to have this kind of gifty feel to it. uh, And that's not just a marketing thing. I mean, I wanted it to be sort of compulsively touchable. Because I think when you write about something, when you write about, you know, poison and murder and all these dark subjects, it helps if it's also sort of adorable in a way. So I thought that... If it was a little bit diminutive, people would, would be okay about picking it up and touching it. And if it was a big, imposing book and a big, imposing topic, that might be too much.
0: It is really cute and pick upable. <laughs> <laughs> and, and what's kind of amazing is I love all the illustrations. You have a very nice format for every entry here. There's yeah. different kinds of entries, and you there's a variety of the formats of the entries. So it's not just like reading a dictionary. Could you talk about creating that format? Did you work with the artists and the book designers?
1: I did. I was really lucky. I, I walked into actually a rare book dealer in Seattle that was showing an exhibit of these copper etchings done by this very young woman. Her name is Bryony Morrow Cribs, and she was 25 at the time that I first found her work. And she's doing copper etchings the way copper etchings were done, you know, three or four hundred years ago. I really? Mean, oh, yeah. You know, it's you take a plate of copper and you cover it in wax and you do your drawing into the wax um, and and freehand and of course backwards because it's going to be a print um, and then you dip that in acid so the acid etches away at the drawing but doesn't etch away at the wax and wipe the wax off ink the plate print it i mean it's a very very antiquated way of making art and you know botanical books are not illustrated this way anymore you know this is how this was done 200 years ago so What's great about that is that I think the art has this kind of gothic otherworldly feel. So, even though it's technically accurate and you do get a sense of what the plant looks like, there is this sense of menace that I think you, you get this feeling that it's coming out of another time or another place.
0: It reminds me of Gory illustrations, Edward Gory, yes, and it has we, that kind of like you say a dark gothic feel.
1: Absolutely. We talked a lot about Edward Gory as we were. Definitely his spirit is here somewhere. <laughs>
0: Now, you have another illustrator, too, who illustrates uh, some pictures of people's hands with mushrooms growing out of them. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, talk about uh, bringing him on board.
1: Yeah. Jonathan Rosen is um, this amazing Brooklyn artist who does, I mean, he does magazine covers. And, you know, he's 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 a real big shot artist. And so we were very lucky to get him for um, certain sections of the book where I sort of group a number of different topics together under one heading. So, for instance, I'm just looking at this uh, botanical crime family section where I sort of grouped all these botanical families that have a lot of notorious criminals in them. And so he did this great, crazy illustration that's sort of like, the crime families like the mafia bosses coming together around the table only they're all plants and they're doing terrible things they're smoking and they're drinking and there's like a severed head on the table so um so yeah he really went to town he really embraced the whole dark side of this idea
0: now talk about what the information that's in each entry cuz I love the layout of the entry and the way it's written. Uh-huh. You get you have different ways of conveying a bunch of information to us in each uh segment.
1: Yeah, what I really tried to do was to tell a story in every case. And um of course, you know, there are thousands of poisonous plants around the world. And and because I wasn't just including poisonous plants, also plants that are intoxicating or immoral or badly behaved, I had a lot of plants to choose from. And I really needed to choose uh, plants that had a good story. So I needed a person, a particular victim, or a villain, or a crime that was committed, or some incident that I knew actually happened that I could talk about. So because of that, each entry is sort of framed around this story. And the story is kind of a way into where does this plant grow and, and what does it do? What is the particular psychoactive mechanism maybe that makes this plant work the way it does? And what part of the plant is it that's poisonous? But I frame all that around the story. And then there are little sidebars that will tell you um, what the plant is related to, a little thing called meet the relatives, and just also a little a little box that kind of says here's what the plant family is, here's where it grows, here's where it's, where it's native, and here are some other names that it might go by. So I wanted to to have a little bit of factual information, but mostly feel like you were just reading a little story.
0: That's an interesting perception. You know, I never thought about <laughs> it that way. It, it is like a collection of, of interesting short stories. Now, um, plants. We think of plants as not being necessarily aggressors in, mm. in this world, but you throw out the statistic: sixty-eight thousand eight hundred and forty-seven people poisoned by plants last year. Yes. Oh, my God. I I know. We have to declare a war on plants.
1: It's alarming, isn't it? (laughs) Yes. Well, you know, the fact is that plants cannot move around to get away from predators, and they're rooted in place, and they have to do all kinds of interesting things to keep from getting eaten. It's very important to a plant not to get eaten. So part of what it does is it punishes anyone that eats it. And when you think about it that way, it makes absolute sense. It uses poisons and and painful barbs and whatever else it can come up with to to, uh, make it not worth your while to eat it. It's really surprising there's anything at all in the plant world we can eat, frankly.
0: (laughs) Now, um, plants are also, you know, the source of not just, you know... um, Poison, you know, and irritants are also the source of drugs and, and the cause and the cause of, of drug wars. I mean, mm-hmm. when you start uh, totaling up all the casualties due to due to plants, it's pretty impressive.
1: It is pretty impressive, and it's interesting to me that, you know, I mean, these plants were sort of minding their own business, doing their own thing until we came along and, and found a way to make them into something more than they were. You know, I mean, the argument that the, that the Bolivian government and the Peruvian government makes about, um, about coca, Erythroxylum coca, which is the plant that cocaine is made from, is really a kind of interesting argument, which is, you know, this is just a native shrub that we lived alongside for 10,000 years. And cocaine was invented by Europeans 150 years ago. So why is this our problem? <laughs> Explain to me why why we should be bothered by that. Now, that's a little disingenuous because, of course, those coca farmers are not growing those plants for traditional uses. They're selling them and making a profit. But nonetheless, it is interesting that there are so many sort of intoxicating plants that were really sort of nothing until we came along and made them into some global, uh, you know, made them into part of this global drug scene.
0: Now, you group plants according to several categories. You call some deadly, mm-hmm. some offensive, some intoxicating, some merely illegal, some painful, destructive, and some are merely offensive. How did you come <laughs> up with these categories? <laughs>
1: Well, you know, offensive was really particularly fun because i it, it it really became clear to me that there are a lot of plants that just behave badly. they explode, they spontaneously catch on fire, they smell horrible um, there's even a section of plants that bleed like i mean red sap, so it looks like there's actually blood coming out of them if you scratch them, which is just very, very creepy and <laughs> You know, I loved that. I mean, how terrifying is that? Can you imagine?
0: Well, I, I like the exploding plants, too. That yes. was I never heard of exploding plants. Talk about some of those.
1: Oh, well, botanists call this explosive dehiscence. It's a method of seed dispersal that a, a plant, certain plants are just built so that When the seeds are ripe and ready to go out into the world and make new plants, there's so much pressure exerted upon the seed pod that it will actually burst open and the seed will scatter for yards and yards, sometimes at a very fast velocity. I mean, in the case of something like gorse on a hot summer day, you really do not want to be standing next to a gorse plant when it decides to blow its seeds out into the
0: world. Really?
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: Now, um, you also talk about uh, some of the... the stinkers as you call them there's <laughs> the, the corpse flower now yes. we know about corpses they don't blo- blo- bloom very often do they
1: uh no that particular flower blooms very rarely it's a very you know it's a very large flower and so i just think it takes it a long time to get around to making another bloom but um in the case of of flowers that smell like rotting corpses the thing is they're trying to attract carrion flies i mean they're trying to attract Flies that are drawn to roadkill, so it's in their best interest to smell like roadkill in order to make that happen.
0: The roadkill version of bees and honey.
1: I know. I know. <laughs>
0: That's really yeah. creepy. It
1: is creepy. <laughs> yes, it's horrifying. Yeah,
0: and offensive.
1: <laughs> yes. Right.
0: Now, um, I didn't know this about figs and wasps. Could you talk about that?
1: Oh yeah, that it's very interesting. I, I have a I have a whole section of um, of. Called Guess Who's Coming to Dinner about uh, plants that play host to bugs, and which is just sort of creepy in and of itself. Um, and so one of the ones I included was the fig, and in fact wasps actually crawl inside of figs in order to lay their eggs. And so when the when the eggs hatch, the little little newly hatched wasp have to make their way out of the fig. And I'm talking about the actual part of the fig that we eat in order to, to get on with their lives. So when you hear that, I mean, the first thing you think is, oh no, have I been eating like dead wasp bodies my whole life? Every time I bite into a fig, is there like a wasp leg or like some empty wasp eggs or something that I'm crunching into? And in fact, commercial fig production, they either... um use figs that have not been pollinated at all, it's not necessary to pollinate them, or they use varieties where the wasps are able to pollinate them and get out again. So, in fact, you're not eating dead wasp bodies, but um, in the traditional, traditional old figs, uh, wasps would die, in many cases, inside that piece of fruit. Mm, Yummy! yummy. I know, it's good.
0: (laughs) Well, let's talk about some of these deadly plants, and I guess... uh, First on on the list for me is the deadly nightshade belladonna. Yes. Tell us about it. it's related to Datura and the habanero chili pepper. <laughs> That's <laughs> I just, true. I thought it was kind of scary. It makes me next time I think of I'm getting a chili pepper, you know, how poison is that?
1: Well, it's a nightshade, and you know that nightshade family is full of of, of very interesting members, including the habanero pepper. But yeah, um, Atropa belladonna, a deadly nightshade, is a is a sort of smallish, uh, very unassuming little plant that produces these. Little purple berries, um, but they're very dangerous. They will, uh, in in small doses, they will cause sort of hallucination and kind of uh, sort of crazy. You, you might not make a lot of sense. You might sort of be babbling incoherently. They but were ultimately... kind
0: of like uh, pals of the dr- early drug generation, I think. W- weren't they? The, the... Uh, yeah.
1: Yes, the nightshade family is the source of many, many drug plants. <laughs> that's for sure. Yeah.
0: Uh, and, and what have, now, so these berries are very deadly. They, do, do they get eaten by uh, um, animals, or do they kill animals? Or, or?
1: Well, you bring up a very interesting issue, which is I, I think people have this assumption that animals know what is safe to eat and what isn't safe to eat because they're animals, and they somehow have this wisdom because they're part of nature. And, in fact, that's, that's really a very dangerous assumption to make. For one thing, animals that are pets, like our cats and dogs, are not native to where we live. Um, So so they don't have any built-in detection systems, and they're exposed to a lot of exotic plants in our yards that may not come from where they came from. Um, but even animals like birds that do eat poisonous berries um, are doing it in part because they're dispersing the seeds for the plant. So plants have worked out a special deal with birds (laughs) (laughs) that they have not worked out with the rest of us. Um, So sometimes you will see an animal nibbling on a, you know, you might see a bird picking off an Atropa belladonna berry, and that does not mean it's safe for you just because the bird is getting away with it.
0: I'll keep that in mind. Keep
1: that in mind. Yes.
0: Now, um I was also kind of surprised to see oleander as deadly. I mean, we had oleander plants in the backyard, but you mentioned that oleander caused killed two toddlers not too long ago.
1: Not long ago in Southern California. Yeah, people I mean, it was just a few years ago and people still talk about it. I was just down there. Yeah, oleander contains cardiac glycosides that will interfere with your heart rate and ultimately um stop your heart, I mean, ultimately can can kill you if you if you ingest enough of it. So a very poisonous plant, and that that is not to say that you should not grow it in your yard, but you might wanna give some thought to, do you have a, a very small child who's sort of too young to understand the concept of, you know, if I haven't already eaten it as food at the dinner table with mom and dad, then I should not put it in my mouth. I mean, that's really the message to kids. But when kids are too young to understand that, or pets that just get into everything, some pets are more likely to do that than others, then I would definitely rip out an oleander. Mm. I mean, you know, people are surprisingly unwilling to pull a poisonous plant out of their yard, and it just astonishes me. It's like, rip it out, go get something that won't kill you. How hard is that? Get a a little shrubs, 20 bucks, you know? It's not a big deal.
0: When I was a kid, we had bottle brush in the front yard Mm. and oleander in the backyard, so Mm -hmm. I guess we were just a real poisonous family. Now, bottle brush, that is, is that painful?
1: It's a very nasty allergen oh, bottle okay. brush. Right, yes. it's one
0: of the pollinators, isn't it?
1: That's right. So so people who have big allergy problems would also be well advised to look around their own landscape because a lot of times what's making you sick is the plant that's growing right outside your bedroom window. And again, get rid of it. Go plant <laughs> something that won't make you sick.
0: <laughs> now, now um, I was surprised. You, you, You know, you lost the southern vote. Um, when you <laughs> said, declared tobacco a deadly plant.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, tobacco is the worst. I mean, it it is the most wicked plant in the world when you, when you think of it from the perspective of how many people it's killed. I mean, 90 million people have been killed by tobacco, which easily makes it the worst plant in the world. And the thing about tobacco is, you know, it produces nicotine because nicotine is deadly. It's, it's, it's doing it to kill bugs. I mean, that's why it makes nicotine. Nicotine's a very inf- effective pesticide. Um, and in fact, you used to be able to buy bug spray that had nicotine in it. Wow. Because it's so good at killing bugs. But they actually took it off the shelf because it's too dangerous.
0: Wow. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, explain that's... that to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, um we also uh, talk about some of the dangerous plants, and I let's talk about these pollinators. I mean, there's a lot of them. They're they're pretty common. Olive trees. I mean, you know, lots of people yeah. have olive trees in their front yards, and that's not. That, that can be actually pretty dangerous, can it?
1: Yeah, if you suffer from allergies and you live near an olive tree, that is really something to think about. Um, they contain, the the issue with, with, um, with the pollen of olive trees is that it contains so many different allergens. So you can sort of be, your body can be attacked on, on many different fronts from just one tree. And there are cities in the Southwest that are banning olive trees because it's clearly just making everyone in the community so sick.
0: Wow, that's really interesting. yeah I, I, I didn't know that, they, that that they actually would ban trees because they would make allergies. I'm kind of good.
1: It is good. It's starting to happen more and more because really, we made we the United States of America, we made one giant mistake um, in terms of allergy. Um, producing plants about 50 years ago when Dutch elm disease wiped out all of the stately elm trees all across the country, the decision was made in many communities all at once to plant exclusively male trees the thought being there won't be any messy fruit dropping on the sidewalks anymore. Won't that be nice? Well, what they didn't consider is that those male trees just do nothing but put pollen out into the air
0: constantly
1: (laughs) to try to find a woman. You know, they're out there, they're, they're doing what men do. They're looking for love. And that means that the skies are filled with pollen and it's some cities are just uninhabitable for people with allergies.
0: Boy, I never knew that. Oh yeah. Now, now you also talk about some of the illegal plants and, uh, Mm. one of the ones you mentioned has been uh, in the news uh, pretty much lately or it's been in my purview is ayahuasca vine and uh, the the odd combination of chakruma plus banisteropsis copy
1: very good that was a (laughs) mouthful Yeah, it's one of many cases in which it's two plants that have some synergistic effect when they're combined together. And you wonder how many possible plant combinations people went through before they hit upon the combination that would do exactly what they wanted. So, yes, this is a tea that brings on wild hallucinations and this, you know, night of craziness, including vomiting and, and a lot of symptoms that may not really don't sound so great to me, frankly. I mean, I, I read about this and think, yeah, give me a martini any time. <laughs> but this is a plant that is, um, or a tea, this combination of plants that is consumed in Brazil. And here in the United States, it is illegal unless you are a member of that particular church in, in Brazil. And so one um, branch of that church has been opened in Santa Fe by actually someone in the Seagram family. So they are the only ones. Yeah, I know.
0: <laughs> the Seagrams. Well, there's, there's there a you surprise. Go. There you
1: have it. And so they're the only ones who are consuming it legally in the U.S.
0: Now, uh, you also mentioned something called cot. Yeah. <clears throat> and this is something else we're hearing more and more about. Could mm-hmm. you talk about, explain what, it, what the plant itself looks like and what we do to... Turn yeah. it into an illegal drug. Yeah,
1: this is a very uninteresting-looking little shrub, um, Catha edulis. It's got glossy, dark leaves, and um, it's it's consumed primarily Somalia, that part of the world. Um, and, and, and the leaves will give you, if you put them in your mouth and sort of chew them while they're fresh, kind of like you would with coca leaves, you'll get this sort of euphoric kind of high. So kind of like caffeine, but maybe a little bit more. And then over time, you get sort of sort of jittery and paranoid and aggressive and delusional after long-term use. So actually, the, you know the story of Black Hawk Down. Mm-hmm. I mean, these Somalian warlords were all hyped up on cot when they were running around that night. Uh, So it's a big issue over there, and and there have been attempts to ban it. It is illegal in the U.S., but the interesting thing about that is What's actually illegal in the U.S. is to possess a quantity of the active ingredient. Well, after about 48 hours, that active ingredient is almost gone in the leaves. You have to consume them fresh. So people who are busted for possession of cot leaves are really trying to sort of delay getting them to the laboratory for analysis. (laughs) Because after a while, you've just got, you know, dried leaves.
0: Interesting. Yeah. Now, Now, um... Uh, you also mentioned the betel nut palm mm. as one I- intoxicating. And that's an interesting drug. I think I think that was actually the inspiration for the uh, drug uh, melange in Dune because they have the same kind of lips. They're, they're li- oh. the, 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 the pilots, the guild pilots in Dune yeah. need to have some sense of uh, prescience to be able to see where the spaceship's going to be so it doesn't crash. And they choose something called melange, which is Again, make, gives them their lips, and I was thinking, boy, that's like the betel nut palm, isn't it, it?
1: Very, very well could be, and and this is another one actually that's a combination of two plants. So you take the nut from this palm, and you wrap the leaf from another unrelated vine around it to form this little packet called a quit, which you would then, you know, chew on all day long, or or keep in your mouth, and it uh, it's also another one that is a stimulant. Um, turns your teeth black (laughs) which is great right (laughs) and makes you salivate copiously and it's this red saliva it turns your spit red and you have to spit it out Um, it's gross and you cannot swallow it and so the sidewalks are just uh, in some place like Thailand or Indonesia where this is consumed it's just red from people spitting out this juice
0: now, uh, also in the intoxicating, I guess I'm I'm interested in the intoxicating plants, mandrake root. Yes. Uh, now, that's something um, that ends up in plays and Shakespeare, and right. it's it's very creepy looking, isn't it?
1: It is. It is. Mandrake is a great one. I actually grow mandrake in my garden. It's hard to find. You know, you cannot walk into any garden center and buy a mandrake plant. But I tracked down a company that sells medieval herbs and they sold me a couple of mandrake plants. And above ground, it looks like nothing. It's this boring little rosette of leaves. It looks like, I don't know, a radish or something above ground. There's not much to it. But it has this crazy forked root that, you know, can very much look like a human body. I mean, it looks like it has little legs and arms and um, it was thought that i mean long ago in the middle ages and earlier it was thought that when you pulled it out of the ground it would scream when you pulled it out and that and that the screams were so loud they could kill you
0: so that's
1: terrifying but in fact it's a narcotic um a very dangerous one to experiment with this is the one of course that Juliet. Uh, was given to drink to make it appear that she was dead when she was only sleeping. That would have been wine laced with mandrake that she was given.
0: That proved to be a little more effective than she and uh, Romeo anticipated. As
1: with so many wicked plants, there were unintended consequences, yes.
0: <laughs> now, uh, I was interested in some of the painful plants that um, the phototoxic uh, compounds, explain what that means and, and what, what has that. I mean, Celery?
1: Yeah, celery is a fascinating one. Now, you would need to eat an incredible amount of celery in order for this to happen, and I don't think anybody loves celery this much, but if you ate enough celery, uh, you would be very susceptible to sunburn. So these phototoxic plants are plants that will give you a burn or a rash, but only if you're exposed to sunlight. So you could eat the same amount of celery and stay inside for three days and nothing would happen. Um, and many of them also people who work in the fields or work in packing facilities where they're packing uh, celery are at real risk for getting pretty severe burns on their hands just from sort of the juice of, of handling the plants.
0: Now, I was really interested in the blister bush. I mean, this sounds really, really <laughs> nasty and, and painful. Painful. <laughs>
1: Yes, I have a whole section called "Here Comes the Sun," and uh, and and these are all plants that will raise these awful, awful welts—pretty, um, uh, pretty spectacularly painful plants.
0: And those will last for years, won't they? They can.
1: They can, yeah.
0: Now, um, also, you have a a picture of a nettle, and the picture you have mm. of the nettle, and I guess that's the. Uh, a Brianne drew it. Uh-huh. It is the scariest damn thing I've ever seen. It looks like a snake made out of hypodermic needles.
1: Yes. Oh, yes. That. No. I think actually Jonathan did that. Yeah. That's a great. That's a great picture. But you know, that's the thing about nettles that I think people don't realize. Those tiny little hairs, and they really don't look like much more than peach fuzz. Honestly, I mean, they're quite harmless looking. But each one of them actually is like a little hypodermic needle, in that it has a little bit of poison that it releases under the skin once it gets in there. So quite an amazing plant. You really think, wow, what made it think to do that?
0: Well, I just keep reading all this British literature where they're making nettle soup, and, mm-hmm. and I, I guess those hairs get kind of sauced away, or that's it's...
1: right. They get that's exactly what happens. People drink nettle tea, um, so yeah. At that point, it's it's harmless. It's it's more if you get it on your skin.
0: Well, all I can say is that anybody hands me a cup of nettle tea, and I'm going to see that snake my of my dermic <laughs> needles and think, no, thank you. Yeah, oh, not so much. I'll go with green tea. <laughs> um, in the deadly category. We also have uh, something that I didn't realize, a toxic blue-green algae. Thank you, Cousteau. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Oh.
1: Oh, well, yeah, killer algae for Cousteau. Yes. Killer algae is basically a seaweed. I mean, if you just sort of think of what you imagine seaweed to look like, that's what it looks like. And this is just one mutant plant, and that's what's weird about it, is just one plant in one aquarium in Germany happened to mutate so that it became much stronger and much better able to survive in cold water. Pretty soon, every aquarium in, the, in Europe wants one because they have these cold water tanks, and it's so pretty. It ends up at Jacques Cousteau's aquarium in Monaco, and from there, at some point, it goes overboard, gets into the ocean, and just blankets the ocean floor. I mean, this thing gets to be 30 feet tall. It smothers all life in the ocean. The fish cannot eat it. It's poisonous to fish. And it propagates just, I mean, you cut it, you drag an anchor through it, or a boat propeller goes through it. Cuts it up into little little tiny bits of plant floating around in the ocean, and every one of those makes new plants. So the truly creepy thing about this is not just how invasive it is, but the fact that they've done they've done an analysis and shown that everywhere this has appeared in the world, it's all the same plant.
0: Boy, that's scary. That's it's just the clone. one
1: plant. It's a clone. Yeah. Wow. Yeah.
0: Um, and speaking of kind of intractable plants that grow endlessly, I love kudzu. Yes. And, and, and because uh, I mean. There's all sorts of great stories about people who fall asleep in the kudzu vine and can never get up again. <laughs> That's right.
1: Yeah, and you see you see these photographs of cars and even buildings that have been completely overtaken by the vine. And there again, this we did this. I mean, this is a plant that was brought deliberately to the United States um, um, from Japan. It was thought that it would be good for erosion control and we could feed it to the cattle and... It'll be great, it's very pretty, it would be great on so many levels, and it just turned out to be freakishly, freakishly invasive. Now, do you,
0: why don't we have that in California? Is it by virtue of not protections, or, or just it's not happy here?
1: I think it's not happy here. It really needs that very warm, humid kind of climate to do well, so we've been lucky so far.
0: Oh, well, I'm glad, hopefully there won't be a mutant uh, <laughs> yeah, that will really. take over uh, California. Really? Um, When you talk about uh, some of these plants, you you talk about um, these, I I love this category of ordeal poisons. Oh, yes. That's so interesting.
1: It's fascinating, yeah. So this is where the phrase trial by ordeal comes from, if you've ever heard that phrase. Yeah, so the idea, and so so this was a custom that, that originated in Africa, and James Livingston reported on this when he came back. I read all these old accounts in the London papers of what he was reporting on when he came back, and, and this was one thing. So the idea was that if you were accused of a crime, you would be fed this poisonous bean, and if you died, that meant that you were guilty, so... You had been appropriately punished, and if you lived, that meant you were innocent. and You got to go on. I mean, in some ways, it's a, it's it's so simple. What what a, what a wonderful way to administer justice! Think of all the time and trouble we would save. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Perfect.
0: Now, um, I I never knew that uh, corn was <laughs> had was deadly, and nor did I know of its connection to Bram Stoker.
1: <laughs> well, um, yeah, I have this section called "Deadly Dinners" of. Um, plants that we eat or that some cultures eat, but that can be very poisonous if they're eaten the wrong way. And so the example with corn is um, is a disorder called pellagra, which is actually a terrible, terrible niacin deficiency. It's a B3 deficiency that comes about if you were to eat pretty much an exclusively corn-based diet. So if you were a peasant and all you had to get you through the winter was this corn that you had stored up and you were going to eat that morning, noon and night and not combine it with other foods, then you would, you would end up with pellagra. And so the symptoms of pellagra are um pale skin that blisters in the sunlight and this sort of um um, kind of kind of crazy uh behavior that keeps you up all night you can't sleep you're very restless you're up all night maybe you sleep some during the day you cannot eat normal food and you just get this ghastly morbid appearance and well then you die (laughs) and uh and uh, there is some thought that the myths of vamp- vampirism, you know, came out of Eastern Europe could have been pellagra victims because when corn came from the New World back to uh, Europe, people didn't realize the dangers of eating it by itself. And there was a lot of pellagra there at the time. So, yeah, I mean, Dracula really does look like a pellagra victim. If you put the two sides, if you put Bela Lugosi side by side to uh, to a photo of a, of a pellagra victim, you'll you'll see the similarities there.
0: Well, you know, since we live in a society where a large part of our food is now some subset of corn, whether it's syrup, sugar, or, you know, carbohydrates, I I mean, it explains our fascination with vampires. (laughs) Maybe so. (laughs) (laughs) Now, of course, no uh, book on deadly plants is... uh, complete without a section on mushrooms.
1: Ah, uh, yes. Even though they're not technically plants, they're a fungi. I could not help but include them because, you know, of course, they're so fascinating and so very, very deadly. I have to say, writing this book made me much more cautious about wild mushrooms, probably excessively so.
0: Well, I can I can see why. I mean, there are fatalities every year of, yes. of, of due to mushrooms. Every year. And, and now... You also talk about deadly drinks. I didn't know you could get cannabis vodka.
1: (laughs) You can get cannabis vodka. I have some cannabis vodka. It's not all that exciting. It's vodka with hemp seeds floating in it. You know, so it's sort of a novelty. Um, You can also get a drink called agua that has uh, that's flavored with coca leaves. It's very green and sort of medicinal tasting. But I really like the more traditional things like absinthe. You know, is a very much based on a wicked plant, Artemisia absinthum, wormwood.
0: Wow, I didn't know that. Oh Oh, yes,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. wormwood. Um, contains this compound called thujone that can cause uh, seizures and hallucinations. Now, as it turns out, it doesn't really survive the distillation process, so you end up with very little thujone in the finished product, but um, it is a very wicked plant to start with. So,
0: Well, you can now uh, buy absinthe again in America. You can. It's just if- re- recently made legal, wasn't it?
1: It was. It was sort of inadvertently made legal in Europe when the EU wrote its constitution and just forgot to outlaw absinthe. And um, and then so later in the United States, the FDA regulates the thujone levels in it to make sure that it's safe in that way. Mostly absinthe. The thing with absinthe, to tell you the truth, is that it is just highly, highly alcoholic. It's oh. twice as much alcohol as gin or vodka. Oh. So that's what's so dangerous about it. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Yeah.
0: Now, uh, when you put this book together, um, could you talk about you know the kind of research you did? What, mm. how, how many of these plants do you have growing in your garden? I mean, how afraid should we be of where <laughs> you live?
1: Well, I have a poison garden that I planted deliberately, so I have 30 or so um, wicked plants growing in my garden. But um, a lot of my research—it was interesting. I mean, I obviously did some botanical research, and I traveled to some botanical gardens. I went to the Onyx Poison Garden in England, which is a fantastic garden of poisonous plants. But a lot of it was actually more—I I, it was—it was more about the people. You know, I mm-hmm. needed those stories of a murder or just some some dreadful occurrence out in the jungle somewhere. So um, a lot of old, old newspaper archives and uh, a lot of medical case histories. I was just digging for any—I'd zero in on a plant, and then I'd have to go find my victim. I'd have to find where the body was buried so that I could include it.
0: Do you look at plants differently now?
1: Um, yes, absolutely. And one of the things that I think about a lot more is is how plants are related. I mean, I will now look at a plant and go, I think that's in the carrot family, which means there's a 50-50 chance it's very dangerous because the carrot family has a surprising number of very deadly relatives, including uh, poison hemlock.
0: Yeah, that was one of the things I love those entries related to. Yeah, as you read through the related to uh more and more foods fall off the list of of, well gosh I don't want to eat that I've been speaking with Amy Stewart her new book is Wicked Plants The Weed That Killed Lincoln's Mother and Other Botanical Atrocities thank you for joining me Amy oh thank you